Today from the Global Lane, Israel eliminates a senior Hezbollah commander in Lebanon. Will fighting on the northern border escalate? 80,000 Israelis want to return to their homes. This will take months, 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 until we have to just wait. He bowed out of the presidential race. Now former Vice President Mike Pence is in Israel. These are dire hours and we'll be with Israel every day. Violent attacks against Christians in India and Nigeria are becoming so frequent, they're dominating a new global database tracking persecution. The attacks on Christians and Christian churches, abductions around the world, it's growing at an alarming rate. A new Biden administration rule may prevent foster children from going to Christian families. And hail to the victors, the faith of the Michigan Wolverines, winners of the National College Football Championship. Success that I had, it was nothing but God and, you know, trusting the process, the process with him. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. While the world's attention focuses on Gaza, the threat on Israel's northern border escalates. In South Lebanon, thousands of Hezbollah supporters attended the funeral of senior Hezbollah commander Wissam Tawil this week. He died in an Israeli drone strike on January 8th. The response was part of Israel's effort to pressure Hezbollah into withdrawing rockets and fighters from the border so 80,000 evacuated Israelis can return to their homes. Chuck Holton is on the scene. He brings us this report. Kibbutz Yifta sits only two kilometers from the Lebanese border, and its people have been living in hotels since early October. It appears they may not return home anytime soon. I think it, uh, the less safe I feel is right here on the road. Um, but I have faith. When I was alone with the kids, the room was fine, and I wanted my kids to be close to me because they were frightened and they had uh, anxieties um, before they go to sleep and they asking about dad. But now when he came back and we are in this little room, and it's very crowded and it's very small, and we're trying to, to be thankful for, with the things we have. We have each other. The close proximity of Yifta to the Lebanese border, however, adds to the sense of fear about going home. With the escalating conflict, these residents are pressuring the Israeli government to do whatever it must to allow them to reclaim their lives. We are much closer to the border than most of the kibbutzim in, in the Gaza Strip. It's, it's scary. I must say, and we need to be sure that we're safe in order to come and live here again in our homes. So this is uh, our request from our government, from our army. Please make us safe. The day-to-day -day uncertainty takes a toll. Ongoing missile attacks from Hezbollah, despite Israel's commitment to wipe out the threat, leaves many here feeling powerless. Like every day I was crying. I'm trying to think, like every time I feel like I don't have enough perspective to see the whole picture because I lived day, day by day, not even day by day, and hour by hour. Because uh, I don't know, every morning I wake up and I'm, I'm not sure how things are going to, to go in the country with the war. And I feel like I have no control on life. Hezbollah commander Hassan Nasrallah gave a speech the day after the attack on Beirut, saying that it was a crime that would not go unpunished. Meanwhile, Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari of the IDF says that his troops are prepared for any scenario. 
That kind of talk adds up to the likelihood of an extended displacement as the hope for a secure return home remains tied to the IDF's ability to remove Hezbollah from southern Lebanon. These folks realize that may be out of reach without an extended ground invasion. This will take a very long time. That's what everybody keeps saying to us. That's what um, the messages that we're receiving is that this will be, this will take months, months, months until we have to just wait and hope that the war with Hezbollah will create some kind of safety net for us to be able to return home because without that, we will not be returning to our home in Iftah. Meanwhile, in Jerusalem, former Vice President Mike Pence visited Israel to show his support in its ongoing war with Hamas. He told CBN News Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell why standing with Israel is crucial for America and Christians. Words fail. Uh-huh. Yeah. We were just uh, the Kfar uh, Aza. We met former Vice President Pence following his visit to some of the Israeli border communities attacked on October 7th. We sat down in the bombed-out children's unit of the Barzillai Hospital in Ashkelon, just miles from the Gaza border. I must tell you that I, I've been to war zones during my time as Vice President and during my time as a member of Congress. But the sights that I saw today, the aftermath of that terrorist attack on October 7th, and even a site like this, the ongoing war on Israel by Hamas, it just was pure evil. Pence came with a message for the United States and its closest ally. These are dire hours for Israel. And I think it's, it's so important that the United States make it clear that we are with Israel today, we will be with Israel tomorrow, and we'll be with Israel every day until the threat of Hamas terrorists from Gaza is eliminated once and for all. He also emphasizes that the show of support must be widespread. I believe the United States needs to make it clear to other actors in the region, whether it be Hezbollah in Lebanon to the north or most especially uh, to the mullahs in Tehran, that uh, the United States will be here for Israel and that we will be prepared if there's an effort to widen uh, this conflict in any way. The Biden administration is trying to actually limit maybe some of the fighting going on in Gaza. How would you respond to some of the limits that the Biden administration is trying to put on Israel? I just don't accept it. I was in Washington, D.C. on 9-11. And... Um, America did what we believed needed to be done, taking the fight to the enemy in Afghanistan. And I remember the way our allies stood with us, and they didn't question how we were going about bringing those to justice that had attacked our country. They just stood with us. And I think Israel deserves the same now. A lot of people right now are talking about the day after, and the Biden administration is talking about a revitalized Palestinian authority that would take over in Gaza. Your thoughts? I think we're still waiting for the Palestinian Authority to condemn what happened on October the 7th. I think those considerations will be proper for the government of Israel to make. And I think we should leave those to the elected leadership uh, here in, in Israel and we'll support their determination. In January 2018, Pence addressed Israel's parliament. The miracle of Israel is an inspiration to the world. And the United States of America is proud to stand with Israel and her people as allies and cherished friends. As I said in that speech, I, we, we stand with Israel because her cause is our cause, her values are our values, and her fight is our fight. And I really believe that uh, 
this is a moment uh, where that, uh, that relationship uh, has been more important than ever before. Chris Mitchell, CBN News, Ashkelon, Israel. Muslims killing Christians, Hindus violently attacking Christians and Muslims, Sunni Muslims bombing Shiites in Iran. Persecution is on the rise globally. So what can be done to protect the religious freedom rights of Christians, Jews, Muslims, and people of other faiths? Well, a new database is now tracking global violent persecution to give a voice to the voiceless. Here to explain more how it works, what it will mean, is David Curry. He's CEO of Global Christian Relief. David, first tell us, how is this database going to work? Well, what we're doing is looking at all the public data that we have on religious persecution. That's people persecuting people solely on the basis of their faith. And we're going to be able to allow re other researchers, other uh, people of faith to see and compare how the rise of religious intolerance is growing, whether that's anti-Semitism or in, in, in the particular case of what we're talking about this morning, the attacks on Christians and Christian churches, abductions around the world. It's growing at an alarming rate, and uh, we need to understand the size and the scope of the problem. David, why the need for such a tracking system? Why are you doing it? Well, because too often we're talking really in our own sector, Christians talking about persecution of Christians, Jewish leaders talking about anti-Semitism, and it's too easy to marginalize us in these categories. It's time that we see it as a global problem, that extremists are targeting uh, Jews and Christians and others uh, for their faith. And it's it, it shows to a larger trend, which is to try to to marginalize faith, marginalize and make difficult the practice of religious uh, experience uh, so that governments or dictators or extremist groups can control how we live our lives and ultimately how we worship. And persecution incidents are often difficult uh, to detail, to verify, especially in closed and isolated countries like North Korea. So how are you expecting to, uh, expecting to handle that? Well, of course, we have networks of people that access this data and, can, and have verifiable proof so that we can talk about it. Obviously, one of the challenges when you have an index like this is you have to understand if you're a researcher, this is the baseline of what's really happening. When you talk about, say, for example, in India, there are over 62,000 Christians who have been displaced during the reporting period in India. That's Certainly the baseline. There are thousands and thousands more that have been attacked by these Hindu extremist groups, pushed out of their homes. They're still homeless. They're still without without their property, these kinds of things. It's just the beginning. So it's not meant to suggest that this is the only number that's actually been displaced. We know it's a baseline. We know that the problem is much deeper than what we can what we can validate. Okay, you mentioned India. Which specific countries are filling up the database already? Well, when we look at uh, the most violent places as far as murders or killings, it's certainly Nigeria during the reporting period. 
there was about over 7,000 Christians who were attacked for their faith. I was just in Nigeria weeks ago. I saw how the government was willfully overlooking the violence of Boko Haram's. There's reports out today uh, from some credible sources we're still looking into that the government military, at least in the north, uh, Jos, that area, had actually assisted Boko Haram and the Fulani extremists who are attacking and were responsible for the massacre on Christmas of Christians. So the, when you look at killings, Nigeria is up at the top by a wide margin. Then you have the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where Christians would, that would be the other place that is extremely high right now. But there are many places like that. And then, of course, we're tracking abductions, where displacements, how many churches have been closed, these sorts of things. Well, we've seen that exposure and ongoing pressure can make a difference uh, in countries like Vietnam, for example. So how are you hoping to use the database to affect change then, David? Well, uh, what, what we want to do is make sure people understand that religious persecution is a problem. People often turn aside from the fact that Christians are even persecuted at all. Because in our Western mindset, they just don't understand the scope of the problem. But when you have the most fundamental right, Gary, the ability for people to make up their minds about what they believe, when that is attacked through violence, through political pressure, through censorship, then are we even free at all? So it has to be understood as a problem. And I'm hoping this index will, will really be able to help people compare and understand the scope of the problem. Well, David Curry, CEO of Global Christian Relief, thank you, David, for your insights and for being there for the persecuted Christians and others around the world who have no voice. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oppose gender-affirming care and LGBTQ ideologies. You can forget becoming a foster parent. New proposed Biden administration guidelines known as the Safe and Appropriate Foster Care Placement Requirements may prevent children from being placed in the homes of Christians. Well, joining us to explain is Dr. Jameson Taylor, senior fellow at the American Family Association. So, Jameson, 60% of licensed foster care homes claim to be practicing Christians. Tell us more, what might this mean for the U.S. foster care system? What listeners really need to understand about this is that this is not just about foster care. Certainly this rule and accompanying legislation in the Senate and the U.S. House, there's a bill called the Paris Hilton Bill. This rulemaking and this bill together will drive Christians out of the foster care system. But the most important thing for listeners to understand is that this is not just about foster care. When the Biden administration is saying that if you are a Christian parent or a Christian foster care provider, that you are not providing a safe environment for kids, what they mean is you're providing a dangerous environment for kids. And when kids are in danger, that's defined as abuse. So what they are literally doing is beginning to define Christian parents teaching a biblical worldview, define that as a form of abuse if you deny basically the LGBTQ lifestyle for your children. That is where this is headed. They're beginning with foster care, but there's a push already to terminate parental rights when parents do not agree with their child's chosen LGBTQ lifestyle. Okay, so this goes way beyond foster care. It's just the beginning, a slippery slope. Explain how you think this policy would demonstrate bias against Christian foster parents. Give us an example 
how it might discriminate against the religious convictions of, I guess, not only Christians, but devout Muslims and Jews. Uh, this would be, I mean, this would be any parent who, for instance, believes that it's, it's not healthy for their child to undergo, for instance, an experimental sex change operation. Uh, this is not just about Christians. This is about this is about parents trying to do what is best for their children's mental health and their children's physical health. Literally, what this is about is replacing parents, terminating parental rights, replacing parents with the government. And we're seeing this in states like Minnesota and California that are so-called trans refuge states. What that means if a state is a trans refuge state is that they're allowing kids, let's say from Mississippi or Texas or wherever it may be, those kids, let's say they, they you know, you meet a you meet a man online and this friend drives you to Minnesota and you get a sex change operation. The state of Minnesota is not going to allow the parents of that child to get their child back. They're essentially terminating those parental rights and putting that child into the Minnesota foster care system, terminating those parental rights and, you know, basically allowing that child to go through an experimental sex change procedure. And we're, we're well beyond the slippery slope, frankly. Uh, the Biden administration is doing everything that they can to terminate and weaken parental rights in every possible way that they can. Are members of Congress, uh, state legislatures doing anything to try to stop this new policy? What can people do about it? Yeah, there has not been enough pushback. I think one, it begins with the churches. Churches have to get political, and that means they have to stand up for their rights because their rights are being terminated. The rights of Christian parents are being terminated. Again, this is already happening in states like Minnesota and California. What the Biden administration is trying to do is to make this nationwide. Contact your governor and ask your governor to fight the Biden administration's efforts in foster care, to fight their attempts to push Christians out of foster care. The second thing that people need to do is contact your U.S. House member and your U.S. Senator and tell them to vote no on the Paris Hilton bill. This is the bill that would drive Christian foster care providers out of foster care. It would drive Christian group homes out of that setting, congregate care settings. Call your U.S. House member and your U.S. Senator and tell them to vote no and to do everything they can to oppose the Paris Hilton bill. We have, we have good Republican conservative lawmakers that are sponsoring this legislation, like Tommy Tuberville in Alabama. They need to know that this is very dangerous for Christian providers. The third thing that people need to do, and this really hits home, is you have to take away your kid's phone or don't give them a smartphone, number one. Number two, get your kids off of social media. And then number three, if you can, Pray, you know, pray about it. If you can, take your kids out of public school because it's phones, it's social media, and it's public schools that are the main propaganda points for the LGBTQ lifestyle. And so parents have, you know, you have to begin where you are. Begin at home. You have to protect your kids from these ideologies that are being forced onto them. You have to protect them from the predators that they're meeting online. And again, we're literally in a situation where a child can meet someone online and, and then accompany that person to a state like Minnesota. The child undergoes an experimental sex change operation and your parental rights are gone. 
Okay, promoting strong families. Dr. Jameson Taylor of the American Family Association, thank you for providing those insights. We appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for having me on. And listeners can learn more at afa.net or afaaction.net. Faith and football. Faith doesn't need football, but a football team needs faith to be successful. Congratulations to my alma mater for winning the National College Football Championship. It's been a long 27 years. The Michigan Wolverines had faith they could do it this year with some divine guidance. Their accomplishment made me wonder, does God care about football, who wins and loses? I don't think he does, but he does care about the hearts of the coaches and players. Last year, after Michigan lost the semifinal to TCU, quarterback J.J. McCarthy pledged his team would be back this year to play for the national championship. He said, quote, when you're on a mission, you play for something bigger than yourself. When God has you on mission and in all you do, he wants you to bring honor and glory to him on and off the playing field. Running back Blake Corum gets it. He set the record for career-rushing touchdowns at Michigan and ran for two touchdowns in the championship game. He said God gave him the faith to get it done. And he added, quote, It's not about football. It's not about having the touchdown record. It's about being a great human being. Did I make an impact off the field? Did I help the community? Did I put a smile on someone's face? Well, Coach Harbaugh said teamwork made the difference. No player, no coach is more important than the team, said Coach Harbaugh. In other words, a team must work together in a spirit of humility. And Harbaugh said God and the Holy Spirit were responsible for the team's success. Finally, running back Donovan Edwards. He struggled most of this season, but he got his groove back with two touchdowns in the championship game. Edwards admitted he was stressed this year. He explained that he felt blessed once he relaxed and allowed God's Holy Spirit to flow. God played through me, and that's what I did today. And, you know, uh, for the success that I had, it was nothing but God and, you know, trusting the process, the process with him. Amen, Donovan. We need to keep trusting God in the process. When we fumble, he picks us up. In failure and success, praise him because he's the giver of life. He gives us the talents and abilities to accomplish great things for his purposes on and off the football field. So keep the faith. Yes, the mission is bigger than yourself. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, Xfinity Cable, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Rumble. And until next time, be blessed.